Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today, we're talking about two of the most exciting teams in football, the Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns. Haven't been able to say those teams are exciting in a while, but they are. We're going to be talking to Jake Trotter and Marcel Louis-Jacques, our two beat writers covering those teams at ESPN, in a moment. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about another special ESPN podcast. It's 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. It's a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans. It's told by those who lived the events of that day, and it's built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. March 11th, 2020 will tell the story of a day that started in one reality and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And here's our show, and here's Jake Trotter talking about the Cleveland Browns. All right, joining me here, now as promised, on the Bill Barnwell Show, talk all things Browns and a very interesting team, and even more interesting after the results we saw on Monday night with the Steelers losing. Joining me to talk about all things Browns, the excellent beat reporter for SDSPN, Jake Trotter. Jake, how are you? Doing well, Bill. Good to be on the show. I feel like we've had you on a few times now. Had you on last year before the season. There was plenty of optimism surrounding the Browns. That was unfounded. Had you on in the middle of the season. Things were not as exciting. And now we have you here. And we're really close. I mean, the Browns, who have not made the playoffs since 2002, have an 89% chance of making the playoffs, according to the upshot. If they beat the Jets this weekend, which is not as hard as it looked last week, and either the Ravens, the Dolphins, or the Colts lose, the Cleveland Browns will have clinched a playoff spot for the first time since 2002. So, Jake, let's start with this. You, of course, interact with Browns fans all the time. You have your your sense of what the sentiment is in Cleveland. Do Browns fans actually believe this is the year? Or... Do you get a sense that they're still expecting that 11% chance to come in and something to somehow go horribly wrong over the final two weeks of the year? Do the Browns fans believe? They believe, but they are definitely looking at the different scenarios in which the Browns somehow don't make the playoffs. And I, they, you know, they still exist. It's not a hundred percent chance. I think FPI, the football power index has it at 90.7, but it, until it's a hundred point zero, Browns fans are going to, in the back of their minds, wait for this to somehow go wrong. I mean, they are Browns fans. They have been traumatized too much going back to the playoff runs of the 1980s. But if you watch this team with your eyes, they look like a playoff team. They look like a team that could win a game, maybe two, in the playoffs. I think outside Kansas City in the AFC, they are playing about as well as anybody maybe Buffalo too, but they're playing about as well as anybody in the AFC right now. They're playing their best football at the right time of the year. They have gotten better as the season has gone along, mostly because their quarterback has gotten better as the season has gone along. And they have some weaknesses to be sure. It's not a perfect team, but you feel like right now that they can score on pretty much anybody 
mm-hmm. in the NFL, and they can score a lot of different ways, whether it be Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the ground mm-hmm. or Baker Mayfield and their ever-growing, dangerously play-action passes downfield. So mm-hmm. it is not a complete football team, but it is looking like a complete team, at least offensively, and that makes them dangerous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's start with that offense. So let's start with the guy everyone is talking about right now in Baker Mayfield. And let's be honest. I mean, it's hard to argue with that praise when you look at the numbers. Over the last month of the season, Baker Mayfield uh, has led the Browns to three victories in four games and, of course, did so much to lead them back to a victory against the Ravens. Just came up narrowly short, but uh, brought them back in the fourth quarter. He's posted a passer rating of 117.7 over the last month. Ten touchdowns against just one pick, the driving force in that crucial victory over Tennessee. So as someone who watches this team closely, do you think Baker's made significant strides over the last month? And what do you attribute that sort of recent improvement to? Or is it something where he's just been this good all year and the numbers are just kind of catching up to how he's been playing? Well, the sample size is not so small anymore. I mean, if you go back to week seven against the Cincinnati Bengals, the game that Odell Beckham Jr. was hurt on, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Baker in that first quarter was 0-5 with an interception. And even if you include that first quarter, since week seven, there are only two quarterbacks in the NFL with a higher QBR. One of them is Patrick Mahomes. The other one is Aaron Rodgers. That is it. And if you look at the entirety of uh, of the season, Baker is fifth in the NFL in QBR. So... You know, at the end of the day, the numbers tell the story. And I thought coming into the year that Baker was going to struggle a little bit early on. I mean, you got to remember, Kevin Stefanski is his fourth head coach uh, since he was drafted in 2018. He's Mm -hmm. learning another offense. Oh, by the way, they're having a virtual offseason and a shortened training camp. So not just Baker. I thought the entire Browns offense would, would struggle a little bit you know, maybe through the first month or two of the season. And what happened was, after they got destroyed by Baltimore in the opener, mm-hmm. the offense really found its rhythm, the running game. So they they look good offensively, really, from week two on, uh, because of the improved offensive line, uh, you know, the, the work they put in this offseason, solidifying mm-hmm. the tackle position with Cedric Wills and Jack Conklin, and then obviously with Chubb and Hunt and how dynamic they are as a pairing. So that part I was wrong about because mm-hmm. the running game was, has really been good from the very beginning. But what I was right about is that Baker, it took him a month or two to really find his way in this offense uh, because, you know, he's been through so much turmoil so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we try to decide whether this is, you know, a mirage or not the way he's played the last couple of months, he was the number one pick in the draft for a reason. Yeah. You know, he, he had incredible accuracy throughout his Oklahoma career. It's not like the accuracy you've seen lately. He's never demonstrated before. So I think he's found a excellent partnership in Stefanski who understands Baker's strengths Mm -hmm. and knows how to utilize him. Baker is growing more confident every week. We can debate whether, you know, he's more comfortable without Odell out there, not Mm -hmm. Odell's fault, but you know, he's just reading the defense and making the right throws. And um, when you have a running game, you know, to flank you, like the one that the Browns have as a quarterback, it just makes things so much easier. So uh, I, I don't, I think this is real. I don't think this is fake. And I, I think that because of the way that Baker is playing this, you know, the long-term outlook for the Browns, not just this year, is completely different than the way it looked just two months ago. Because if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you've got no chance. I think the Browns have that guy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things to unpack there. And I think that, you know, to your point, you look at Baker's sort of stretch this season. It, it was a, you know, really the first six weeks of the year. He was had some good games, but against the Ravens, he really struggled in week one when they got behind early. Steelers, of course, great defense. Uh, really forced some mistakes out of Baker Mayfield. Had a really nice game against the Bengals, who Bengals are in a great defense. Yeah, you know, what we saw last night maybe aside, but <laughs> then that three-game right. stretch, you know, people may have forgotten or may not have noticed the weather in those three games, was, or I believe in at least two of those three games, was abysmal. I mean, it, it was a brutal it was, all, it was all three games. Weather. I mean, all three games, you could barely walk to your car, much less <laughs> 
And I know this because I was there trying to walk to my car <laughs> and it was an absolute nightmare weather-wise. So of course, you know, he's not going to put up big numbers in mm-hmm. those games, but go ahead. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, you figure maybe we would have had a longer set, sa- a bigger sample if there had been better weather in those three games against the Raiders, the Texans, and the Eagles, who are not great pass defenses by any means. But then, of course, now the weather sort of turns around. The, 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 the schedule has been tougher. Ravens have a good defense. Giants have a good defense. Um, Jaguars, not so much. And Tennessee, I think, very susceptible to play action. But with the weather improving, we've seen him play much better and, and certainly put up much bigger numbers over the last month of this season. Now, I was going to ask you about this. Might as well do it now. I feel like we have to at least have this conversation. And I want to know what you think. Again, as someone who watches the team very closely, the numbers say Baker Mayfield has been better without Odell Beckham. Last month of the season, Baker Mayfield has been great. Odell Beckham has been on the sideline. Uh, we've seen guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones making plays for the Browns. So do you think, do you, do you believe that the Browns offense is better with Odell Beckham on the field or with Donovan Peoples-Jones, whoever's replacing Odell Beckham, but with Odell Beckham on the sidelines, injured or not on the active roster? So I can't say that the Browns offense is necessarily better because just Odell Beckham standing out wide changes the way that defenses are going to play Cleveland. And, you know, the running game, I think, is a little bit tougher when you don't have to, you don't have a defense committing so much attention and so many resources to stopping Odell Beckham. And, and you know, I, I think even in the Ravens game, you could just tell that, um, you know, this was different than the way uh, th- that they lined up against Cleveland the first time around. But, and I wrote about it after the injury, that mm-hmm. before we saw what happened, that, that I thought that Baker Mayfield would be a better quarterback without Odell Beckham mm-hmm. on the field. And there's just something, and it's not, I'm not blaming anybody. You know, sometimes, you know, the chemistry, the, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work out the way you hoped it would. And for whatever reason, they just have not been, on the same page since they made the trade before last season. Now, I mean, I can read you all the numbers. It's not even close. Baker's efficiency with Odell on the field versus without on the field, uh, not on the field. And, you know, I can, you know, anecdotally, there's been some incidents where, you know, Baker will make, will throw the ball up to Odell just because it's Odell. Um, the first, the first pass of that Cincinnati game, Baker just throws it up to Odell. He's got Jarvis Landry wide open on a curl route on the other side of the field, but doesn't even look at him because he's fixated on Odell. The pass gets picked off. They came back and ran the same play, I believe, in the third quarter, and it's a first down because Baker makes the right play because Jarvis is open, and Rashard Higgins, he's not concerned with throwing the ball up to because it's Rashard Higgins. So, I I mean, they're going to have an interesting decision to make. this offseason, their hands are kind of tied because of the injury. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, Odell's still got to, uh, you know, rehabilitate the knee. But to me, I mean, forget the eye test. You just look at the numbers. Baker has been a better quarterback without Odell. And um, I don't know that they would be the kind of offense they are right now if Odell Beckham hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, you just it, it's hard to ignore the difference in Baker since, the back of injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Like, uh, you know, is it 100% totally clear to say that Odell left and the Browns improved because of it? No, I, I think that's tough, but like the, the, the data is the data. I mean, you know, like they are much better without him on the field. I mean, do you, do you get a sense that the Browns organization feels that way as well? That's a tough question. I don't know what Andrew Barry, the general manager, how he feels about it. You know, he's not the one who traded for Odell. That was John Dorsey. So he's not, you know, personally, individually invested the way that the previous regime uh, would have been. I mean, at the end of the day, forget Odell and whether, you know, Baker's better 
with him or without him. I mean, they have so much money co- committed to the wide receiver position between him and Jarvis Landry. And at the end of the day, the Browns are a running team. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, they would like to keep Nick Chubb, even though they have Kareem Hunt for the next two seasons. You know, and, you know, the combination of the two is what makes them so good, more so than, you know, Kareem Hunt individually. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to make those decisions anyway. But I just, you feel like this team, the core is Miles Garrett, it's Denzel Ward, it's Baker, the offensive line, and the running backs. And, you know, Odell is, is down the list in terms of, I think, you know, how you see this team proceeding going forward long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Now, of course, one of the biggest changes for the Browns this offseason was the hiring of Kevin Stefanski as their head coach. Of course, they brought in Bill Callahan, um, changes up and down the staff, of course. So many additions, but Stefanski, of course, being the head coach, would seem like the biggest one. I know it's difficult to separate out, you know, Baker's improvement versus Stefanski's influence, but when you look at at what the changes have been over the course of the last year, how much of Baker's improvement do you think you'd realistically chalk up to just Baker getting better as a player? And how much of it would you chalk up to Stefanski maybe making it easier for Baker to succeed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's everything. Alex Van Pelt, too, their their, their offensive coordinator and quarterbacks mm-hmm. coach, uh, who used to coach Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay as well. Um, it, it's it's not just Baker. It's not just Stefanski. It's both of them together and what they you know the work they put in this offseason and mm-hmm. the trust that they have. Um, that they have in one another developed in one another. I mean, I go back to, you know, before, uh, you know, the world changed back in February, shortly after, you know, taking the job, Kevin Stefanski flew down to Austin and, you know, met with Baker's family, met with Baker. They went out to dinner together that night. Coincidentally, Ed Stefanski, who's an executive with the Detroit Pistons, Kevin's dad just happened to be in Austin on a scouting trip. And, you know, he stopped by and said hello to Baker at, at dinner. And, you know, family is very important to Baker. You know, at one point uh, during the shutdown, he was actually living with his parents, uh, mm-hmm. with his wife, um, you know, as he had his house uh, renovated uh, there in Austin. And, and I think just, you know, having Kevin in that, in that setting really set a foundation uh, for Baker. And you can, you can understand, why he would be maybe a little bit weary to trust another head coach here. And I know that, you know, Josh McDaniels, when, when Baker was coming into the draft in 2018, Mm -hmm. you know, he flew down there to see Baker and say, Hey, you know, if you drop, you know, we as the Patriots might be interested in trading up for you. And I Mm -hmm. think when Josh's name came up for the job, you know, Baker was, was very, um, you know, interested in that possibility. So not having any, background with Stefanski, not knowing who this guy was at all, uh, you know, for Kevin to get in there and really start building the trust with Baker from the beginning, I think it's paid off dividends um, even now. And, um, you know, you can just, they, they have a, uh, a, a terrific rapport and, uh, you know, Baker has, you know, kind of taken back that mantle as the leader of the team in the locker room. I think it was hard for him to do at times last year when he was struggling so much and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they are kind of a, kind of a, like a boring team. And I say that in a good way because, you know, Stefanski zoom calls, they almost want to put you to sleep because he's just so, um, you know, consistent and, and steadfast. And, and, you know, I think they've taken on that identity as a team, which is pretty remarkable considering he hasn't even been there a year yet. So I, I think that Stefanski, uh, just from a chemistry standpoint, um, has made a huge difference for Baker and that locker room. And then I think, you know, Baker getting him outside the pocket and getting him in position to make the plays that he's confident in making and being creative in doing that um, is, is, you know, a big reason why the Browns are in the position they are and why Baker has made such a dramatic turnaround here these last couple of months. Mm-hmm. That was going to be my next question. Actually, you mentioned that Browns fans have fallen in love with coaches before only to have their love go sour pretty quickly with Freddie Kitchens as OC and then head coach being the most recent, I suppose, example. So is there a reason to think that this affinity for Kevin Stefanski after his 10 and four start might be any different than those fleeting uh, moments of affection in the past? 
I do. Uh, one big reason, and this was the buzzword that ownership used when they made the change after this last season, and it was alignment. And mm-hmm. you've seen so many different Browns regimes where the general manager is feuding with the head coach, who's feuding <laughs> with the offensive coordinator, who's feuding with the quarterback, who's feuding with the – I mean, it just – um, you know, you can't you can't have a a winning football team when ev- not everybody is on the same page, and that's what they have now. You know, Paul V. Podesta, um, you know, went out and you know hand handpicked Kevin Stefanski. He led the coaching search. Uh, ownership, the Haslam's have a tremendous trust in in D. Podesta, uh, and then after they got Stefanski together, they went out and got Andrew Barry. So everybody has had kind of a hand in um, the individual that's in their, their current spot. And then, you know, I think that goes down to the quarterback as well, where Baker is completely bought in with, you know, everybody from, from Andrew Barry to Kevin Stefanski. So they just have a certain army that has been fleeting in Cleveland really since the team came back in 1999. And there's no reason to believe that that, you know, even if, you know, let's say they lose to the Jets this weekend, um, and you know, the Browns worst nightmares come true. They're not making wholesale changes this off season, like, you know, has been their way in the past. So I, I think that there is finally the possibility for stability going forward, even if, you know, there, there might be some setbacks here and there. Mm-hmm. Now with that alignment would come stability typically. And looking at what the, future holds for the Cleveland Browns. You'd figure Kevin Stefanski and Drew Barry uh, are going to be around for a while. Baker Mayfield comes up. Uh, Baker Mayfield, of course, now is eligible for an extension after this upcoming season. As the uh, as he finishes his third year in the NFL, quarterbacks become eligible for extensions. I think we're going to see Lamar Jackson get a deal with the Ravens. Wouldn't be shocking if Josh Allen, who we're going to talk about in a minute here uh, with Marcel Louis-Jacques, is going to be eligible for an extension and get one from the Buffalo Bills. Josh Rosen not getting a deal. Sam Darnold probably not getting a long-term deal. Do you think Baker Mayfield has done enough over this season for the Browns to commit to him on a long-term extension this offseason? So you t- you tell me, Bill. If you <laughs> ha- let's let's take the name Baker Mayfield out of it. If you have a guy, let's say he finishes top five QBR on the season. Um, and he's broken a number of franchise records, you know, already this year, particularly mm-hmm. for games. And let's say this quarterback who finishes top five QBR takes you to your first playoff appearance in 18 years. How do you not? Mm. Mm, it's a fair question. I mean, I guess the only thing I could say is that you you could maybe sit here and say, hey, we're going to be a run first football team. We want to spend money elsewhere. We're going to keep our quarterback situation relatively cheap. But, you know, Baker's holding up his end of the bargain. It's not like they are, you know, just run, 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 and then Baker's not throwing. I think we've seen over the last month, Baker's not only throwing efficiently, but also throwing for meaningful volume. So I I, I think that is likely, you know, unless if Baker totally collapses over the next three weeks of the season or the next two weeks of the regular season and they miss the playoffs or Baker has a disastrous game in the playoffs, maybe that would be the case. But I do think it's likely that, you know, the Browns do extend Baker Mayfield this year. It makes the most financial sense to extend him as early as possible. If you think he's the guy at the same time, I mean, we've seen, you know, the Eagles with Carson Wentz where they thought they had a franchise quarterback and they were getting that deal. The Rams with Jared Goff, maybe not regretting it quite as much, but certainly, you know, uh, a guy who has been very inconsistent this year can be a very dangerous thing. But but I do think that Baker, you know, has done enough to kind of convince the decision makers in Cleveland that he's going to be the guy. And I think two things, Bill, you know, the, the, these decisions are not made without context and not in a vacuum. And sure. Cleveland has had 30, 30 starting quarterbacks since 1999. And when you think about that and you think about the possibility of having, you know, your first franchise quarterback since Bernie Kosar was there. I mean, that, 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 that is not easy to understate, uh, uh, or that, that should not be understated. And then, you know, the other part of it, and I wondered about this when they made, you know, all the changes in the front office, of the coaching staff, like how in are they on Baker after, mm-hmm. you know, he had a bad season last year. He just wasn't very good. And Everything, every move that they made 
from hiring Kevin Stefanski to dra- drafting Jedrick Wills to going out and signing Austin Hooper, every move that they made was about better supporting Baker Mayfield on the field. So, you know, even though they had a new general manager in Andrew Barry, they never wavered uh, yeah, institutionally in their belief that Baker could be that guy. I mean, they went out and signed Case Keenum, and Case can win games as a backup, but the reason they went out and got Case Keenum is because they thought he would be an awesome mentor for Baker. You know, they have similar backgrounds. Both played for Cliff Kingsbury, you know, air raid guys from Texas. Um, and, you know, similar, you know, height and, and style of play, all of that. So everything that they did this offseason was not about, like, how can we move on from Baker? It was about how can we better support Baker and give him a chance to be the guy? Now he's showing you that he's the guy. I just think that all of the momentum right now has gone from, you know, when you, from the Cincinnati game to now all of the momentum is, you know, not only picking up the fifth-year option, mm-hmm. which I think at one point was kind of a question mark, to I, I think the extension seems more likely than not at this point. I agree. Um, finishing up with, with the Browns here, in, in terms of what happens next, if we make the assumption that the Browns do make it to the postseason for the first time since 2002, is that enough for Browns fans, you think? Do you think that merely making it to the postseason would satisfy them after this sort of, you know, almost 20-year wait for a postseason berth? Or do you think that they have to make a more significant run for Browns fans to sit here and think that this has been a successful season? No. If they make the playoffs, this is a success. I said it before the season, you know, go 9-7, and seven, get into the playoffs. When you haven't been in almost two decades, Everything at this point would be gravy. You know, if you win a playoff game, that's awesome. But if they just get to the playoffs, this to me would be a, uh, especially given all the challenges with the new head coach and the, you know, unprecedented offseason, this, this to me would be a huge success. And here's the thing. The Browns are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. All, their, all their guys are young. All their guys are in their early 20s. All their guys are under contract. Um, they, they are not going anywhere. And we've seen – you know, the Steelers look a little bit creaky here of late. Um, you know, I think Joe Burrow with the Bengals, they have an exciting future. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Ravens are the Ravens. But I think the Browns in the AFC have a chance to be a force to be reckoned with for years to come. So to me, you get to the playoffs this year, you take that first step. Uh, that would be, for a franchise that hasn't been in so long, a hugely successful season, in my opinion. Makes sense. Well, Jake. Ask the Browns, go over these next two weeks and as they head into a possible postseason appearance, where can people check out all the work you do? Yeah, Bill, uh, ESPN.com, uh, Jake underscore Trotter on Twitter, and I will be writing and posting a lot here in the coming weeks. Should be a, a very interesting close to the NFL season in Cleveland. Awesome. Jake, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. All right. We're going to come back with Marcel Louis-Jacques talking about the Buffalo Bills here in a moment on the Bill Barnwell Show. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, talked with Jake Trotter in the first second about the Browns, another team in the AFC rising up the standings, a wildly successful season, the Buffalo Bills. And joining me to talk about the Bills is our friend Marcel Louis-Jacques. Marcel, how are you? I am good. You know, it's just a good, a lot of good energy right now in Western New York. Even if everything is closed, you can just kind of feel the city is different, man. You know, they compare it to a college town and mm-hmm. it, like, it really does feel like that, even with no dog in the fight. It's just like a lot of positive vibes well, resonating through Buffalo. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about because you said you have no dog in the fight. But I want to point out, I mentioned this with Chil Kapadia in the past. Marcel, the Bills made the playoffs once over the prior 15 years before you arrived on the Bills beat. Now... <laughs> Two years. We've been on this beat two years. Playoff appearance year one, division title year two. So I have to ask you, how much responsibility do you personally take for the Bills' success? Oh, man. Zero, zero responsibility. But I'll tell you what, if they, uh, if, if they keep on this rise and they win the Super Bowl next year or this year, I don't think that Bills fans will let me leave. Like, I don't. You know, I don't I don't even know if I want to leave, but I guarantee that if there's if there's rumors, man, they might barricade my house because uh, 
you know, I get, I get a few, I get a few of those little tidbits every day, every now and then about their record since mm-hmm. I got here and, and whatnot. And, uh, it's a really fun, really fun coincidence. And like, I'm just, I'm happy to have, I'm happy to be here during this like resurgence. Like it's a, it's a really cool time to be, to be covering the Buffalo Bills. Just saying Panthers taking a step backwards in your absence. Just seems like, seems like correlation is causation here, but I will not, not going to press the point. (laughs) Let's talk about the Bills. I mean, last year, 10 and six, May the playoffs, major strides forward. This year, another huge leap forward, 11 and three division champs. So I want to ask you, well, let's start with that. Comparing the 2019 Bills to the 2020 Bills. Most of the same players, some, some changes sort of on the margins here and there, but do you think the Bills are a significantly better team in 2020 than they were in 2019? I think so. I mean, it, with the, the, main, uh, the, the main statistical evidence of that is, is the number of points they're scoring per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's it's up to 27, 28 per game yeah. from 19 and a half last year. And uh, I mean, there, that was the main focal point. You know, Brandon Bean spoke about it kind of ad nauseum uh, that he, he watched that Texans game and was just kicking himself like that for not being able to do more. They wanted Stephon Diggs at the trade deadline and Minnesota wouldn't buy it. He was just, he was sick mm-hmm. that he didn't do enough to help this team score more points. And, and uh and so that was the focal point this offseason. That's why I did what he got, what he had to do to get Stefan uh, Diggs to Buffalo. But uh, and so in that regard, they are a far better team. Mm-hmm. Uh, defensively, on paper, you know, when you look at the numbers and you know yards allowed per game, scoring, they have taken a step back from last year. But a really interesting storyline that caught my attention a couple weeks ago after the, the Niners game was Tredavious White got on Zoom and kind of unprompted said, yeah, you know, we're just, we're starting to gel mm-hmm. right now. And I was like, you know, it's, it's, it's week 13 and you're playing alongside a lot of the guys that you've been with for four years now, like Jordan Boyer, Micah Hyde, Tremaine Edmonds, mm-hmm. these guys, Jerry Hughes, like that, they've been the foundation of this defense since 2017. But looking a little further into it, Tremaine Edmonds was hurt for the first part of the season. Mm-hmm. Matt Milano has missed half the year, you know, stints on IR and, and just missing games with a, a groin and a chest, a pectoral injury. Um, Star Little Lele opted out. Josh Norman and Levi Wallace, like these past three games, I think are the first three games that they've played a full four quarters alongside each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been, even Tredavious White, even he missed the game. So like this has been a banged up, defense and especially without a training camp to get used to the new pieces like Mario Addison, like Quentin mm-hmm. Jefferson, Vernon Butler, AJ Klein, without all that time to get used to one another, they kind of had to do so on the fly this year and through a, a, a relatively difficult schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a three, there's a four week span, including the bye, where they played three of the top five offenses in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough ask for a defense that's still figuring itself out. But looking beyond the surface, they are playing, they're doing certain things at a very high level. Mm-hmm. They are holding defenses to, I, I think it's 26% um, on third downs this season. Mm-hmm. The red zone efficiency has been strong. They're taking the ball away. I think they lead the league in turnovers over the past several weeks in, uh, in fourth quarter turnovers. Mm-hmm. So if you, it doesn't matter how, you're, you can allow a bunch of yards. If you're stopping teams on third down, and you're taking the ball away, like you are going to put, you're going to set your offense up for success. You're going to set your team up for success. And that's what they've been able to do as of late. Yeah. And I mean, look at the the points per game have gone down. I mean, 17 points allowed to the chargers, 24 to the Niners, 15 to the Steelers, really a dominant performance from the bills in that game. And then 19 to the Broncos in the game a week ago. And like you said, forcing takeaways, looking a lot more like the defense, that we saw a year ago. So, I mean, uh, how confident are you that, you know, the first half of the season was a blip and that Tredavious White is correct and that this team is coming together to gel? I mean, do you think that it's just, you know, uh, the reality of guys getting healthy or do you think that it's, you know, that maybe using different players or having, you know, a different mindset on defense is sort of what's, what's hopefully going to transform this team and sort of have this defense from the second half of the year kind of stick through into the playoffs. 
I, I believe what, what Tredavia said. I, I think they are kind of, they are starting to, to gel once again. And, and that makes sense, right? Because like I said, there are, there are so many of the same names here who have been here for at least three, mm. at least three seasons. I mean, you include Matt Milano in that, and you can include Levi Wallace in that. And uh, Harrison Phillips has been here since 2018. Um, hasn't been hasn't been the greatest season for him, but like I said, a lot of familiar names. And then the guys that they brought in, with the exception of AJ Epinesa, aren't you know they're not just young guys. Like these are veterans. These guys like like Addison. Addison's been in the league 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ Klein's been in the league a long time. Josh Norman's been in the league a long time. Like these are vets that you know, eventually instinct is going to take over and they're going to figure it out. Um, there was that scary, there was a scary two week stretch though, where, you know, it, it, it kind of looked like, you know, maybe uh, this defense might've gotten a lot older, a lot faster than anybody thought. Um, it was something that speaking of the Panthers earlier, it was something that happened in Carolina in, mm-hmm. in 2018, where, you know, over the team, like the course of an off season, the defense aged three, four, five years. And uh, and it was time to hit the reset button. So there was a little bit of fear, I think, there that, uh, you know, in the fan base, at least there was a little bit of fear that that was about to happen. But uh, that team, these players, they remain confident that, no, like we know who we are. We're going to get it figured out. It's just going to we might have to take our lumps with the world watching in the meantime. Mm-hmm. In terms of this defense, uh, you know, the numbers have been really great over the past couple of years. Second in DVOA in 2018, seventh in 2019, uh, I believe the 16th this year, but they've been improving over the course of the season, probably going to approach the top 10 by the end of the year. I mean, are you surprised there hasn't been more conversation about Leslie Frazier as a possible head coaching candidate, uh, given how well the defense has played over the past few years? Don't even get me started on that, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, you, you want to hear, you hear this is an offensive driven league. And like, so that's why anybody who's been in the same coffee shop as Sean McVay is getting an interview. That's why anybody, any offensive coach is getting a look. But uh, I mean, Vic Fangio was just hired last year and, and he was a successful defensive coordinator up in Chicago. Leslie Fraser has led a, a strong, a top three defensive unit in, in 2018 and 19. And to the best of my knowledge, has not received an interview in that span has not been mentioned in it, in those rumors. And, uh, I actually, I, I asked him about it when the team promoted him to assistant head coach, um, this off season, I asked him if it, if it was ever disappointing, ever frustrating. And he said it was like, it, it, it was a little, it was a little confusing, but especially since, you know, they've been able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish. And that when he goes to the combine and, and, and the senior bowl and events like that, that his peers come up to him and say like, wow, like really respect the job that you guys have done up there, you know, really like what you're, what's going on. And so for, for his peers to recognize that, but for teams, team ownerships, not to extend that, that feeling. Yeah. It's, it's a little weird. And I think the bills are, uh, it's a little odd. You don't really see teams doing this, but the bills want him to get, to get interviews. The bills want that for him. That's why they promoted him to assistant head coach. And, and, that's why Kim Bagula has been a, a very vocal proponent that, that he deserves that opportunity uh, whenever he wants it. But uh, I, I, I am a little, I am a little surprised um, that, that he hasn't. And uh, you know, people also want to say, you know, he wasn't a, <laughs> he, he wasn't a successful head coach the first time around. And, and that's also, that's also garbage. We can talk for, we can talk for an hour about coaches with losing seasons who get hired, you know, who, who get second jobs, who get third jobs. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's disappointing to see, hopefully people wake up to it because, uh, I mean, he's an excellent coach. He's also a good, he's a good leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think people have a lot of respect for Leslie Frazier, both, you know, locally and and within the team and organization and throughout the league. Yeah. The thing that I I always come back to with Leslie Frazier, when I look at this team, look at this defense, is how many of the players they have, like you said, who aren't rookies, who are who are veterans who are coming in to join this organization, how many players come to Buffalo and get better? You know, like 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 they get players who are solid pros, 
and they are stars in Buffalo. They get guys like Matt Milano, a, a mid-round pick nobody was expecting to be a solid linebacker who is now has been a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker when healthy over the past years. You get Tredavious White, the guy who's taken at the bottom of the first round, who's one of the top two or three cornerbacks in football. I mean, across the roster, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, at every level, it just feels like the Bills get guys and make them either a little better or significantly better. And, and that's their, that's the sales pitch from, from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. That's the sales pitch is come to Buffalo and be the best version of yourself. Like there's no, di- there's not no distractions out here. You're not going to get your, your, I mean, knock on wood. Cause you know, I don't really want to write this story, but you're not going to have players caught at, at the strip club in Buffalo. You're not going to have players, you know, caught out doing things that you're not supposed to. There's just not those kind of activities out here to do, especially in the wintertime. There's, there's a couple feet of snow on the ground at any given time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just, you're not really going to want to leave. You're going to come here. You're going to focus on football. You're going to get high level coaching. And, uh, and they stress, they really stress family environment. And, uh, and that's kind of what they, they want Buffalo to be. They don't want a bunch of choir boys, but they do want to build kind of that wholesome culture here where, you know, you come here, you focus on family, you focus on football. Mm-hmm. And, and and nothing else and that's why you're seeing like 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 said Micah Hyde Jordan Poyer uh guys who are who were cast off by other teams come here and thrive a guy like Isaiah McKenzie who's bouncing around Denver's practice squad not a team known for deep wide receiver court sure bouncing on on Denver's practice squad comes here has a legitimate role as that that, that gadget jet sweep type of receiver uh you see John Feliciano come here and play his way into probably a, a pretty major contract. You see Jerry Hughes, a, a cast off former first round pick mm-hmm. become a decade long member, you know, start a decade long tenure in Buffalo. I think he's top five in franchise history in sacks. Like it, it is a, it's, it's, it, it's a huge selling point for them that they're for this coaching staff, their ability to take players young or old, and give them a second chance because they, they just thrive on, they thrive on that, that chip on your shoulder that, Hey man, like they didn't want you come here and prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh it just really embodies the attitude of, of the city. The team embodies the attitude of the city itself because the city is so you see it online a lot. They are a pri- They're a proud city. This is a proud mm-hmm. city. Uh, it takes a lot of heat nationally no pun intended because there's literally no heat in the city right now but it takes a lot of heat nationally they're, they're the butt of a lot of jokes so they're, they're proud they're defensive and they're hell-bent on proving people wrong and that, that kind of carries over to the energy in that organization in orchard park well speaking of pre- of proving people wrong i feel like you know where i'm gonna go with this we, we got to talk about josh allen here because I don't know. You have followed Josh Allen closely over the past couple of years. Uh, I've watched a lot of Josh Allen, written a lot about Josh Allen. I am happy to take an L here. I'm happy to be honest about what my expectations were about Josh Allen. I, I watched the tape last year. I saw certainly improvement. No doubt Josh Allen was a much better quarterback in 2019 than he was in 2018. But if you told me Josh Allen was going to be this guy in 2020, I would have laughed at you. I, I would have been like, you know, there is a scenario where that happens, I guess, but I don't, I can't imagine that universe. Like, I, I just, for him to be, an, if he turned into an average quarterback, I would have been like, okay, like, you know, like, maybe things happen. But to be a great quarterback for the vast majority of the 2020 season, I'm shocked. So I, I got to ask you, Marcel, how surprised are you that Josh Allen has turned into, you know, a legitimate top five NFL quarterback here in his third season? I am not surprised that he is good this year. I'm a little bit surprised as to just how good I'm surprised that he ended up being this good, like for such a long period of the season, Mm -hmm. because he just, uh, he passed the eye test. And and that sounds like kind of a cop out for, for the argument uh, about his completion percentage and his decision-making and yada, yada, but he just passed the eye test. Like I, I watched, I watched more football, more Josh Allen than, uh, you know, a lot of people who criticized him Mm -hmm. and he just, he won games at the end of the day. Like he could, he could absolutely be banging his head against the brick wall 
for three quarters. Don't get me wrong. Like he would make decisions through through three quarters that were like, dude, you, 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 you want to win this, right? But then in the fourth quarter, all the stuff he was trying to do just worked. Mm-hmm. It was just like, uh, okay, like he figures it out with it on the line. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, if he could put, if he could put that fourth quarter and spread it across all th- like the, the first three, then he, the bills might have something here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even with, even a, a, as, as kind of below average as his numbers were last year, I mean, he was still dead last in completion percentage mm-hmm. in, in 2019. It was such a marked improvement from 2018 that you figured if, okay, if he continues to improve along that trajectory, then yeah, I think he's going to be good. I did not, I did not expect him to be a superstar right now though. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to pump fake for, for y'all like that. Like I, I did not expect the, the superstar level Josh Allen. Matter of fact, I, I, I'll eat crow. I, I put out a video on Instagram this summer saying that he doesn't need to be a superstar for this team to win games. And, and that was wrong because they put the ball in his hand and they told him go win us games mm-hmm. this year. They needed that on several occasions, especially early in the season. And, and he delivered time and time again. And now he's at the point where, you know, it, it, it's hard to, if you're a defensive coordinator, I, I don't know how you plan for him. He, he can still beat you on the ground. He can beat you through the air. He can tear apart man coverage. He can pick apart your zone coverage, find the holes in your zone coverage. He can beat the blitz. Like he can beat the, you know, if you put seven DBs back, like there's not a lot of, there, there aren't a lot more options, I think, for, for coordinators to throw at him. He, he's, he's reaching that level that he, he's very hard to game plan for. And especially with the, I mean, they added Stephon Diggs and you figured, okay, eventually this is going to be a good combo. Mm-hmm. You know, Diggs, he'll probably get a thousand yards this season, but maybe, maybe like a, you know, 11, 1100 tops. I, I mean, if he plays the next two games, Stephon Diggs could could end up with 15, 1600 yards this year. I didn't expect that to pop so quickly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the long way to say, not surprised that he's good. A little surprised that he is this good and was has been this good really throughout the entire season. I think the last two weeks are really instructive in evaluating him because like, go back to that Steelers game. First half of that game, he's struggling. He's getting hit. The Steelers are in his face. You know, he is having a bad game and it's not really his fault. Like I think the Steelers were not, you know, we're, we're a great defense and we're giving him trouble and they give quarterbacks a lot of trouble, but you know, I don't know if 2019 Josh Allen recovers from that in the second half of that game. Maybe he continues to struggle for the entirety of that game, the way he did against the Patriots in that game in week four, uh, right around week four last year. But we saw, you know, Josh Allen found something that worked. They got a connection going with Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen was great for the rest of that game. And then against the Broncos last week, you know, um, I, I think the biggest difference between Josh Allen from a year ago and the Josh Allen who's playing now is even last year when he was playing well, it was almost like he was fighting himself at times. Like you'd watch his footwork, you'd watch him make plays and he was, you know, a little frantic at times. And even if he got to the right decision, which he really, he's really good at making the right decision and getting the ball to the right receiver, you know, his footwork would slip and he'd miss a pass that was open or, or he would just be a little out of control and something that should have been an easy completion became a tough completion. And in that Broncos game, I, I, I can think of very few quarterbacks this year who were more in control from start to finish. Like he looked like he knew what was coming. He was delivering balls, whether it was on, on the run, whether it was in the pocket, whether it was, you know, to any portion of the field, every throw was right on a dime, like hitting a receiver in stride. And, you know, it, it was his best QBR as a pro against the Broncos last week in, in that sort of, you know, um, you know, a division clinching game. It just feels like he's a guy who's in total control, uh, you know, of, of his, of his work as a quarterback, you know, the footwork doesn't slip. The, the arm angle doesn't slip. He knows what to do in every situation. And he has, he's always had the athleticism to execute when he knows what's coming. So I feel like he is such a, you know, he's such an incomplete control now relative to the guy we saw a year ago, really, especially two years ago. Yeah. I think that's definitely, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's fair. So because he did, he did look frantic at times and you saw it. There's, there's probably no better explanation um, than, than that, the Texans game, the wild card game. Uh, it was just, it, it was frantic uh, trying to do too much, trying to 
Because I mean, when you look at his, when you look at his past, uh, you know, he didn't go to some powerhouse high school or prep school. He went to junior college. He went to Wyoming. That's, you know, he's not throwing to four or five star athletes. Matter of fact, if, if Wyoming got a four star athlete, I'm sure it would be a, you know, game breaking news. Like they they might shut down, <laughs> they might shut down to celebrate. Like that's a that's a huge get for a program like that. No offense, but like it is college recruiting is what it is mm. so you know he's used to having to do so much by himself that whenever kind of the pressure was 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 turned up on him a little bit i think he he tended to revert back to that mm. but uh i i think he's really been all in on on trusting the guys around him uh he you don't see that's why you're not seeing him tuck the ball as much. I mean, he can still do it. You saw the, the 24 yard touchdown against the Broncos, but mm-hmm. he's, he's not fighting for, you know, he's not fighting for first downs. He, he's letting his re, he's letting his routes progress. Mm-hmm. He's dumping the ball off. He's throwing the ball away. And that's the, uh, that's the, that's coming as a relief to so many Bills fans. Cause mm-hmm. there's this, this like never say die attitude about him last year where, I mean, he is going to fight until, you know, the blades of grass are tickling his arm. Mm. He's going to, he's still going to try to throw that thing. And uh, you're not seeing that so much this year. And it's, I, I mean, we, we talk, we, we talk MVP. I think he's got the third best odds right now, mm-hmm. but uh, and he, he very much belongs in that conversation. Like 100%. he is there. There was some skepticism in September, understandably, but uh, there is no doubt, man. Like this guy is, he is an MVP candidate, and I don't think if he if he won the award, I don't think it would be some massive upset over Mahomes or Rodgers. Like I think any of those three guys are are viable options. I think you deserve it. You know, like I I don't know if he's my choice necessarily, but you know, if, if someone voted for Josh Allen, it'd be hard to argue the point. Like the guy is winning games for this team, and even last year you could sit here and say, okay, well, great defense, you know, that's winning them games. Josh Allen's making plays for sure, but. You know, without the defense, Josh Allen wouldn't be the focal point of this team. It was, you know, it, it's a team effort, and Josh Allen's not carrying this team to victories. You can't say that anymore. Like, look at the Seahawks game. That was the most pass happy offense we've seen, maybe in a single game in the history of the National Football League, in terms of the the rate at which they call pass plays against a great team or against a Seahawks team that's going to make the playoffs. Josh Allen carried that team to a victory in that game. He was great in that game, and he's been great for the vast majority of this season. So. I think absolutely, you know, when it comes to MVP discussion, uh, I couldn't fault anybody who seriously considered Josh Allen or straight up voted for Josh Allen uh, in that race. And, and you mentioned Stefan Diggs in your your answer. And I want to get to sort of the two key people who you you can credit Josh Allen's improvement with. And that's the wrong way to put it, because it's hard to frame this because it sounds like you're slighting Josh Allen. And I don't want to do that. I think Josh Allen has made improvement independent of the two guys I'm about to name, but in terms of Stefan Diggs and Brian Dable, you know, how much of what you've seen from Allen this year is, is the product of having those two guys around him and how much of what you've seen in terms of his improvement is just Josh Allen straight up improving on his own, independent of the receivers, independent of his offensive coordinator. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it's a healthy dose of both. Like you can look at any any successful quarterback. There's no there's no quarterback probably in, in history that you're looking at and saying like he's done he's doing everything by himself. Mm-hmm. Like a successful quarterback, the guys like Peyton Manning, like Tom Brady, even Aaron Rodgers, like Mahomes is right now. They have they have had front offices that build around them. They've had coaching staffs that help develop them. They've had teammates to to help them carry to help carry the load. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Brady so much on on offense, but at, at one point he he did have Wes Welker. He did have Randy Moss. He did have he he had names at receiver. Sure. He had Gronk. Like like it's not like you know if if Mahomes if you put Mahomes on uh, if you put Mahomes on the Jets, is he still Mahomes? And I, I don't, I don't think so. So like, I think it's, it's a healthy dose of his personal development and the the teammates and coaching around him. Uh, Diggs certainly, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if in his career, maybe I, I can ask him tomorrow, but I, I don't know if, if Josh in his career 
has trusted a receiver like he trusts Stephon Diggs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was from from day one. It was, uh, hey, if I'm in trouble, like I'm probably going to look your way. If there's a sliver of a window, like I trust you inherently that you're going to go make a play. And that kind of stuff that matters a lot to to Stephon Diggs. Like he is, it's it's part of the reason why the relationship in, in Minnesota fell apart because mm-hmm. it was a, a a kind of dissolvement of the trust there. But for for a guy like Stephon Diggs to see Josh Allen say, "Hey, man, like I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw the ball your way. If it looks like you might be open, I'm gonna throw it your way because I trust you to make a play." Diggs is gonna do everything possible to make that play, and and with his his talent. He's probably going to make the play. So that, that, that had a huge, that has a huge role. He, he is a guy, you know, he gets the ball in his hands and, you know, he can, if he's got a sliver of space, he can make people miss. Uh, you know, there's a couple ankles that he's probably got dangling in a keychain somewhere in his locker room that he's been, he's been snatching them all year. And, uh, but from, from Brian Dable's perspective, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, Josh, they couldn't, it doesn't get talked about enough how good of a job the bills have done building a sense of stability around Josh Allen. This is the same coaching staff for the third year in a row around him. Same quarterback coach, same head coach, same offensive coordinator, same front office. You know, it's it, they're, they're building stability around him, and no other first round quarterback in, in, in that draft class can say that outside of maybe, I guess maybe Lamar. Mm-hmm. But Baker's been, you know, the Browns have been Brownsing with Baker. The Jets have been Jetsing with Darnold. I don't even know where Josh Rosen is right now. I think Tampa. He's <laughs> like, uh, practicing. But that. I think, yeah. So, like, Josh Allen, like, the fact that Brian Dable has not only been allowed for three years to, to build that relationship with Josh Allen, but to fully develop his playbook. Because it, it's hard to just, you don't just come in in your first year and as a coordinator and say, this is what I want to do on offense and then snap your fingers. And that's what you're doing. Like it it takes a while to fully integrate that kind of playbook and fully open it up. And so now here in year three, that, that playbook is fully open. Like there you're really, you're seeing a side of Brian Dable that we have never seen before in any other stop. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's important. He, he is deservedly getting head coaching interest. He will probably be offered a job. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, especially if a team's got a young, like a, a quarterback that needs developing his work with Josh Allen is, is probably, uh, it's a huge selling point right there. I'm looking right at Jacksonville, but, uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, he is, we talked about Leslie Frazier being well, liked. David Dave's is, is well liked as well. He's beloved mm-hmm. <laughs> with his players in his locker room he, in the community. He's from, he grew up out here, went to high school out in Hamburg, you know, a town over from Orchard Park. Mm-hmm. Like he's, uh, they, they love Brian Dable here. This is home for him. Uh, and he's known like for, for the way he can build trust with his players. You know, mm-hmm. he's a guy who he FaceTimes instead of calls or texts. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll, he'll call up, he'll call up Josh Allen at, at nine o'clock at night to talk plays or to, to discuss, you know, X, X's and O's. Uh, an example uh going back to that Broncos game. Mm-hmm. So the Bills score, you know, they score two touchdowns in like 16, 17 seconds, right? It, they score, force a fumble, return it. Broncos get the ball back and go three and out. Mm-hmm. On the first play of that Bills next drive, Josh Allen goes 55 yards to Stephon Diggs. And that was Josh Allen's call. That wasn't Brian Dable saying, let's take a shot. That was Josh Allen on the sideline saying, Hey, like I like this matchup. I think this is what we should do. And Dable saying, "Yeah, I trust you. Go ahead and run it." And and that's the that's the level of trust they have in one another, and the level of respect they have in one another. So he's uh, you know, it, it is a it's an equal, it is an equal effort. You know, Josh obviously has to put in the work. He has to be the guy. He has to make the throws. But uh, Diggs has given him somebody to trust and throw to. Not nothing, you know, not to short Beasley or, or John Brown, but. Diggs has given him that that you know quarterback's best friend type of receiver, and Brian Dable has brought that respect, trust, stability, and confidence in his quarterback to to help him reach that point. Mm-hmm. Have to admit, I cover the league pretty closely. I try to keep track of everyone. When you mentioned Josh Rosen, you caught me for a second. I was like, 
<laughs> like, like, can I sneak in a trip to our labs before I have to answer where Josh Rosen is? Thankfully, you correctly mentioned that he plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on their practice squad. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's going to be really interesting. And I actually was talking with someone about this a couple of days ago. I want to know what you think. Let's say Dable does get a head coaching job. What do you think the Bills do with their offensive coordinator spot? Um, you see, this is a, this is something they haven't had to do in the past. They haven't had to worry about losing coordinators in the past. Um, conventional is like, I would think they, they promote from within. Mm -hmm. I would think that they, you know, Ken Dorsey looks like a pretty popular pick. Mm -hmm. Um, wouldn't even be surprised if, uh, you know, maybe they look at a guy like Chad Hall, wide receiver coach, Mm -hmm. Uh, what he's been able to do with that receiver group. Uh, you know, you talk about guys that are beloved by the players, Stefan Diggs called Chad Hall the best coach he's ever had, like the best position coach he's ever had. And uh, that's, that's, that's a major way to keep your star happy there. Mm-hmm. Make sure that his position, his favorite position coach is around for a while. Young though, you know, not sure if uh, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that a young coach got a big opportunity, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, as far as this coaching staff goes as a whole, you know, not as much experience as the other guys. So I think probably Dorsey would be, would be the favorite there. Um, but it's, you know, I think they would look to promote in-house just to, to keep that level of stability around, or maybe going back to some of the guys who worked with, uh, you know, looking back at some guys who worked with McDermott and Bean in Carolina, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, there has to be at least four <laughs> pipeline moves in any given offseason player coach whatever there has to be four so uh you know i wouldn't be shocked if marty herney found his way in buffalo in some capacity man (laughs) just seems like it just seems inevitable that the bills are gonna bring in some people from carolina let me finish with this because i want to ask about this as someone who's taking the temperature of bills fans on a daily basis now, there probably will not be fans in the stands, unfortunately. But the Bills are getting their first home playoff game since December of 1996. Chad Hall was a child. Josh Allen, not born yet. It was a long time ago. They'll probably be favorites in that game, depending on who they play. But you'd figure the Bills at home, great football team, are going to be favorites. I know they've taken a big step forward. I know they've won the division. I know that meant a lot to Bills fans. But where do you think expectations are now? If the Bills don't win a playoff game, do you think fans will see this season as a disappointment? But like, what would have to happen for fans to sit here at the end of the year and say, you know what? We feel great. We got to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish this year, and we're in great shape heading into 2021. I think if they, if they win a playoff game, mm-hmm. that fans would be at, at, by baseline satisfied. They'd be, they'd be satisfied. They'd be like, okay, this was good. Because they won the AFC East. That was important. And uh, if they sweep the Patriots especially, that'll, that'll ease the blow mm-hmm. of anything that happens in the postseason. But, uh, you know, I talked about the clairvoyant pessimism with Pablo Torre a few months back mm-hmm. that uh, so many fans out here just kind of want to be the ones to say, well, I saw this coming when something mm-hmm. bad happens. You're starting to see that fade a little bit you know, you're seeing a lot of a lot of Super Bowl talk, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's outlandish. I, no. I think this team can compete for the AFC conference. Like they can, they can win the AFC. And if you can win the AFC, if you can win your conference, you can win the Super Bowl. So I, I, I think it's it's fair to say it's fair to call them a Super Bowl contender here. I don't know if that's the expectation like it is in like Kansas City right now that I don't think winning the Super Bowl is an expectation like it is with Chiefs fans, mm-hmm. but I, I, there is a baseline expectation to win a playoff game. Because I think if you win the AFC East, you host a playoff game, you do these things that all off season, you said that you want to do and, and are your goals. And then you go one and done or one and out in the, in the playoffs. Fans may or may not, I, I, they'll react how they'll react. But the reality is that's a disappointing season. That'd be a disappointing season. You do all this, just to end the way that you did in 2019 and 2017. No, that's, that's, that's a disappointing season. Mm -hmm. So I I think anything beyond that. Yeah. And anything beyond that, you could probably say like, you could, you'll tip your hat to the bills. One playoff win is you're, you're probably satisfied. You're like, okay, there's obvious progress. 
you win two games, you win both of your home playoff games if you're the two seed. Mm-hmm. I think you call that a successful year. You make it to that AFC title game, that's a successful year. And then beyond that, you know, a, a, a conference championship or a Super Bowl title, that is grounds for a parade in Buffalo. I, uh, I actually, I got on the phone, I was on the phone with Cornelius Bennett last week. And he, he said, you know, if this, if this team actually wins a Super Bowl, we're in a pandemic, but there is no way you're keeping people off the street that you might need to call the National Guard. And considering 3,000 people waited for this team at the airport at 1 a.m. in 30-degree weather after a division title, yeah, I think that's, I think that's safe. I just, man, I'm not, I don't have to lock my doors. Man. I just got the PS5 in today, man. Like, I'm going to have to lock my doors and sit on the steps. <laughs> like you're, uh, I'll, I'll be scared. I'll be scared for my safety if, if people if they win a Super Bowl out here, man. Like I, I don't think people are going to know how to act. I can't believe that you had mentioned getting a PS5 when you know Charles McDonald is still waiting for his PS5 after <laughs> all these weeks. Hey, you know I I I, I discussed with Charles already because FedEx is the one that dropped it off, so I, I I did discuss with them how to successfully get a package from him. He said to wait outside. And I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I met the delivery man in the parking lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. I got the notification. I went downstairs and I was like, yeah, hi, how you doing? Thank you, sir. But I can proudly announce Charles is, is, is copying on, uh, I think he said this weekend. So, you know, the, for everybody waiting on the end of that saga, I think there's a happy ending here. That's what, that's what you, you could say that, but Again, until you actually have the handoff of that package, anything and everything <laughs> is possible. But you're right, smart. Man, shout out to my man, Strauss. He deserves that. He, he deserves does. that. You ever want to come to... He deserves it, man. Now, again, you're just a professional. You're smart. You paid attention. You read your keys. You knew that the, the guy was there. You went downstairs and got it. That's just smart. That, that, that's just being a professional package receiver. That's what you do. Now... <laughs> And it also helps that uh, the guys who deliver to, to this block in Buffalo are Bills fans. So uh, I, I think I'm safe in knowing that they're going to want to talk a little shop. There you go. You know, like it, the, the package was getting here if for no other reason than to talk a little shop for a minute or two. So shout out to those guys, man. Y'all are working your butts off throughout this entire, you know, always, but especially now. Mm-hmm. See, now just talk shop with the FedEx people talk shop with us here on the bill Barnwell show. People want to listen to more of you or they want to read more of you, Marcel, where can they do that? Twitter accounts always jumping at Marcel underscore LJ. Also everything I write, everything I do professionally. uh, It's on the Buffalo bills team page, you know, ESPN, go to the NFL tab, go to the teams tab, click on bills, you know, the drill Uh, subscribe for there. You're going to get alerts. uh, Every story, every every breaking news piece, every roster move, everything to keep you as up to date as possible. Uh, that's what we're going to try to do here. Awesome. Marcel, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. You know, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much to my guests today, Jake Trotter and Marcel Louis-Jacques, covering the Browns and the Bills, respectively, for ESPN. They do great work. Check them out. And hope you guys are having a great holiday. We have another podcast coming for you next week after christmas so enjoy the four day slate of games it's crazy how many days in a row we have football in 2020 but enjoy that we'll be back next week with a preview of all the week 17 actions thanks so much for listening and more on the way next week